Hey, good morning, church family. Um, Pastor Brandon here, lead pastor of Austin Oaks Church. Um, hey, welcome to joining us online. Um, it's awesome to be mindful that the church is not a facility. Even though we are here on our beautiful campus, there's this weird sadness and loneliness that's here, but it's also a beautiful reminder that the church is not a building. The facility is a resource. The church has been and will always be people, people who are gathered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's right. Good morning, church, because you are the church and it's exciting. Um, if you are part of the AOC family or not, the Austin Oaks Church family or not, I want to let you know that we are honored and humbled that you would give an hour of your time to join us this morning as we discover more about who Jesus is and who he is and all that kind of good stuff. Um, a real quick thing about us, we strive to be a church that's simply about Jesus. We we believe that when you encounter him, it literally, it changes everything. He's the one who brings hope to hopeless circumstances. He's the one who speaks life into all that is dead. He is the one who is our everything. And that's why we want to strive to be simply about him. In a time like now, in facing this global pandemic and economy, we think there are so many things that we need. But the reality is what we truly need is Jesus. So he is our everything. And when we look at Jesus, when he lived his life on earth, we don't see him offering any type of religion, any type of program. He doesn't guilt people for never being good enough. What he offers is this beautiful gift of life called salvation. He conquered death in the grave on Easter. He paid for our sins. He redeemed us by shedding his own blood, by having his body broken. And he's offered this gift of life to us to be in a relationship with him and with each other. And so that's what we offer to you here as a church. So if you're part of our church family or not, listen, our heartbeat as a church is to help people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. We don't want to offer a religion. We want to offer you what Jesus offers offers you a relationship with the God of the universe. That's who we are and that's what we strive to be all about. So before we get into this morning, I thought, hey, just random confession. And I know, I know, listen, I know y'all have them, okay? I know y'all have them. Here's a quarantine confession, stay-at-home order confession. I am working out at least six days out of seven, right? If I could, I could do seven, but I'm not going to. I'm not that, you know, ambitious, but I'm at least working six days, working out six days out of seven. And, I'm, and I was anticipating losing weight. But the odd thing is, is I'm gaining weight and it has nothing to do with muscle mass is that I'm just eating horribly. Okay. That's just my own confession. Now I feel better. Okay. Now, listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, I want you to, I'm going to put my email um, address on there. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, please email me, okay? I want to be able to send you some resources and how you can start a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe um, you were joining us on Easter and, you know, maybe this is your first time back to church in a long time. And maybe you used to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and you just kind of wandered away. Or maybe you just want to dust it off and get back at it. Like, listen, it, email me, okay? I want to send you some resources and how to grow and to nurture your relationship with Jesus Christ. So my email address is right there, okay? Please do. We want to resource you in this season. And also hear me well, if you're not connected with a small group community, this is the perfect time to do so, okay? And I understand that social distancing makes growing relationships hard and makes, you know, gathering together and having fellowship together hard, but it's not impossible. In fact, we need it more than ever, okay? We, something we say here at our church all the time is that church is best done in a small group. And especially coming tomorrow when Governor Abbott starts to lay out kind of this game plan, like the reality is we're gonna be doing church probably for some time in small groups, in smaller communities, so we want to encourage you to do that. And I want you to email Chad McCartney at austinoakschurch.org. And you can see his uh, email address right there. So please, I want to encourage you. If you are part of a small group and you have not engaged in your small group, for to send you some resources and how you can start a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe um, you were joining us on Easter and you know maybe this is your first time back to church in a long time. And maybe you used to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and you just kind of wandered away. Or maybe you just want to dust it off and get back at it. Like, listen, it, 
email me, okay? I want to send you some resources and how to grow and to nurture your relationship with Jesus Christ. So my email address is right there, okay? Please do. We want to resource you in this season. And also hear me well, if you're not connected with the small group community, this is the perfect time to do so, okay? And I understand that social distancing makes growing relationships hard and makes, you know, gathering together and having fellowship together hard, but it's not impossible. In fact, we need it more than ever, okay? We, something we say here at our church all the time is that church is best done in a small group. And especially coming tomorrow when Governor Abbott starts to lay out kind of this game plan, like the reality is we're gonna be doing church probably for some time in small groups, in smaller communities, so we want to encourage you to do that. And I want you to email Chad McCartney at austinoakeschurch.org. And you can see his uh, email address right there. So please, I want to encourage you. If you are part of a small group and you have not engaged in your small group for the last few weeks, please be the leader. Start meeting. Get on Zoom. Gather together virtually, okay? We're going to be having some time soon. We're going to be able to do this together, okay? So look forward to that. But if you've not joined a small group, please email Chad and he will get you connected into a small group. Now, I also want to do um, something real quick. And I was thinking about this all week because when I wasn't preaching last week, I discovered some things about me that might be true of you and how to make the best use of a live stream, okay? So if you're anything like me, you start to believe that because no one's around and you're not in this audience and you, know, you don't necessarily have to pay attention 100% that maybe you can multitask really well. But the reality is, let's just be honest, um, we're not good at multitasking, okay? So here's the deal. I'm gonna give you three tips on how to get the most out of a live stream. One, be completely present, okay? Be completely present. If you are here, be here. Don't jump in and jump out. Don't look for other churches and all that kind of stuff. Listen, commit to one of these services and just be in it, okay? Don't look at other notifications. I, I know your email's there and other notifications are there and other things are there and looking up the, the draft results, all of that's there, fine. They're staring at you in the face, ignore them. Give of yourself this hour. Be completely present. Second, like, share, and comment, okay? Engage, we can engage with each other on this. Like the post. Share it with your friends and family. Like even right now, if there's people on your heart and mind, share it with them. Invite them in to this live stream and comment. If there's things that I say that are profound or dumb, go ahead, talk about it, right? Do some emojis, engage, okay? But don't be too distracting, okay? Let's be courteous of that. Don't be too distracting, but engage. Start to dialogue with each other. And last but surely not least, this one is probably the hardest. Worship instead of watch. Worship instead of watch, okay? It's easy to just watch it and feel like you're being entertained. But when we do worship and when we sing and when we pray, worship with us, pray with us, engage with us, okay? Don't just watch, engage in worship, okay? So little, little house rules there, little tips for you. I feel inspired this morning, okay? And so I'm going to have a hard time sitting down, but I'm going to because if I was moving, our camera folks would be really mad at me, okay? They'd be like, what are you doing, son? I, mean, I don't know. Anywho, second, we're in the second week of this four-week series called What's After ATX. Um, what we're doing in this series is we're invest investigating what's after life, okay? Austin Oaks Church has joined this citywide campaign in the city of Austin where we're discovering what's after life, right? We use the phrase, what's after ATX, what's after Austin, Texas, which is another way of just saying what's after life for those of you who don't live in Austin. So this series for us as a church is designed to do two things. And I want you to hear this, okay? Because I saw some of the comments of people who were asking some questions as to why we're engaging these topics the way they are. We're, we're hoping to do two things. One, we want to enter into the conversation that we know people are having outside of the church. We want to enter into the conversation that non-Christians are having, okay? We know that people, especially today, they're thinking about what's after life. We're experiencing the fragility of life. We're, we're experiencing the fragility of all the things that we placed our hopes and dreams on, right? Money and relationships and all of these things that sort of been like taken away from us and been rattled and shaken. And we know, especially in our city, there's a lot of people who are diving into new age thoughts and investigating what there is after life. 
We want to enter into that conversation. We want to dialogue with you who might not be a Christian, who don't follow Jesus, just to say, hey, listen, we are just like you in the fact that we all die. Every single one of us is going to die. And if we were to be honest, every single one of us, when we sit and contemplate death, it creates fear. It creates anxiety. There are some things that we hope for, but how do we know what we can be sure of, okay? That leads to the second thing that we want to accomplish in this series. First, we want to enter into the dialogue, and that's why we pull in some of the stories and some of the near-death experience stories and some of the science that is out there, so that way we know that these are things that you're talking about. But the second thing what we want to do is we want to show you what the Bible says, because what you're going to discover and what many, many people have discovered is that what science and all of these near-death experience stories are showing are actually starting to come alongside what the Bible has been saying all along. Okay, these stories have tons and tons of themes, but they're pointing to the truth of what we see in Scripture. So we want to show you, okay, that what we hope in is a living hope that we have guarantee, it's objective truth, it's objective fact because of what the Bible says. So when we start talking about what life is like after this, we know for certain what's to come because of scripture. Not just because of other stories and other people's thoughts and other people's imaginations. Those tend to supplement what scriptures say. We take everything based upon what scripture says. More than ever before, the scientific community, the medical community, there is this fascination and a lot of research is happening with near-death experiences. In fact, now they have discovered that one in 25 of people say they've had a near-death experience. Okay, so there's a lot of things that are out there. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I know we've said this before. When I hear these stories about near-death experiences, I'm a natural skeptic. Like, that's just me. I approach things cautiously. I approach things a little bit with a cynic mind. Um, that's just the way God created me. And, and so when I started to hear about the series, I wrestled with it. I struggled with it. Because I was like, listen, I don't want people to start thinking that because there's these near-death experience stories out there, that's the truth. And so I had to do my own research. And what I discovered was, oh my goodness, the, the scientific evidence and the narratives that are out there you can't necessarily, you can't ignore them because what we're discovering is they actually are pointing to what God has already revealed in here. So let me say this. If there was never, ever, ever a near-death experience, if there was never, ever a scientific discovery, that would never change the truth of God's word. What God's word says about life and what God's word says about death is true regardless of any of these stories, regardless of any of these scientific studies, all that kind of stuff. But we use them to enter into dialogue. We use them to show the truth that has forever been here. So let me make this crystal clear. As we talk about these things, we're not basing our hope, we're not basing anything on these subjective experiences because quite frankly, some of these stories are crazy. Some of these stories are very bizarre. And we know that some of these stories don't have pure motives, right? Come on, we know this. Some of you are like me. You're cynics. You're skeptics, right? In fact, if you're one of those, go ahead, post it on there. Totally get it. We know there's people on there who are capitalizing on the market to make money. There's people who are using it to capitalize their platform. I get that, but not all of them. Okay, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to look at some of these stories because it helps us see what Scripture has already been saying. Scripture is our truth. Scripture is our objective baseline. Okay, so that's why we come here. Now listen, I believe with 100%, 100%, not a doubt in my mind, that the Bible is fully trustworthy. I believe that the God who lives in heaven, who created heaven, who sent his son from heaven, who also described heaven for us through the lens of the kingdom of God is infinitely more accurate than anybody else's experience, period. Okay, so let's jump into today's topic. I remember when I was 
a little boy, and I, and I can't remember the age, but I remember going to my first funeral. And I remember the feelings of that experience. It was terrifying. It was my grandpa, and I, I loved him, you know. Um, I, I loved him a lot, and, and I only had a few short years with him, and I didn't know what to expect at a funeral. And um, I remember as it was our time, to, we were in this line to, to see him for the last time. And I remember my parents asking me like, you know, Brandon, you don't, you don't have to come up with us. You don't have to. And to be honest, like everything inside of me wanted to take them up on their offer. I didn't want to see it because I was afraid. I didn't know if it was like going to jump out at me or whatever. I was a little boy, no clue. But yet there was this like curiosity as well. And there was like this sadness inside of me that wanted to see my grandpa one last time. And so I, I did, I went up with them. And, um, and, and I'm telling you, this was really, really hard for me because I didn't know what was going on. And, and when I came up to the casket and I was, I, I just looked at him and I, I remember, literally, I can remember the smells. I can remember the sights. I remember everything. I remember the grief that was my that my mom was going through and my grandma was going through. And, and I remember at that moment reflecting on the things that I would miss most. My grandpa used to take me to this cafe and um, he would always order chocolate milk for me. And, and that, like, I, that was all I could remember is him and I would sit at the counter of this cafe and we would have chocolate milk. And, and as I was drinking it, he would always ruffle my hair and just smile at me. And like, that's the memory I had. And so I was really, really sad. Like, I was feeling hurt and pain. And I looked at him in the casket and I thought he was just sleeping. But I know he wasn't there. And as the funeral ended, I remember my mom saying to me, son, I will see him again. And I remember hearing that phrase and I was just like, what? He, he's dead. Like, we just put him in the ground. How can you say that you'll see him again? Like, you gotta understand, I didn't have a, a large construct of heaven and hell and faith and all that kind of stuff at that time. I just didn't know. But I started thinking about it. I was like, how can she know this? Like, how can she be certain? Like, where does she even get that thought from that she will see him again? Like, so is there more to life after this life, right? I mean, I wanted it to be true. Like, I want to see him again and I want to have chocolate milk with him again. And I believe now, because of what scripture teaches, that I will be able to. And as I got older, I've heard a lot of people who lost loved ones, friends and family and, and spouses say this to me, especially as a pastor. Like, I know I'll see him again. I hope I get to see him again. Right? And even other times you would hear phrases like this, like, I know he or she is in a better place. And I kept asking this question. I would even ask them this question, like, how do you know this? Like, I know you hope it. Like, I know you want it to be true. But where are you getting that source of hope from? Is it just a fleeting hope? Is it just a fleeting desire? Because you know that death isn't right, that death is our great enemy, and death causes great pain and divorce in so many levels. Our loved ones are ripped away from us and it feels like it's robbing us of things, like it robbed them of life and it's robbing me of this relationship. Like death hurts. And I know we've all experienced that. And I know that we all hope, we all hope that we will see our loved ones again. And we got to ask the question, how do we know this? Do we even know where they are? This is a natural feeling. This is a natural hope. And that's the question I want to answer this morning. Where will there be relational reunions after death? So here it is. I want you to watch this quick video before we jump into God's word this morning. Many people who've had a near-death experience say that they have this welcoming committee, they call it, of friends or relatives mainly who have died already, and they come and they greet them. And just imagine what that might be like. My family appeared. One of them put their hand out, and I knew it was my grandmother. When I looked up, there's my family. Everybody that had been related to me, a part of my family, came to greet me in. My grandmother Mary was out front. She was bright, you know, she had a big smile and pure joy. 
57.3% of those having near-death experience describe meeting other beings. When a deceased loved one is encountered during a near-death experience, they may be around the age they died, or interestingly, they may appear decades younger. I'm looking at this man who I recognize by my heart, but I knew that that was Paul. He's my great-grandfather. Now, Paul was standing next to Ma. I knew her as an old woman when I was a kid. When she was in heaven, she looked to be in her 30s. This was my family. There was nothing stronger than the bonds of this love and unity, which was rooted in the love of God. One of the things that strike me in that little video clip that I just showed you is that just over 50% of all near-death experience stories have shared a theme of some sort of relational reunion. Now that, that gets me excited and very hopeful and I'm looking forward to that time, but here's what I need. And I hope this is what you need too. I need a little bit more than a subjective story to actually put my hope and faith and belief in that. I need something to be objective, to be firm in that. So here's the question. Does God's word speak into this? What does God, God's word say about relationships in life after death? And here's what you're gonna discover. It actually speaks about it quite a bit. And I don't have the time to dive into it, but I wanna hit a few things. Now, before I get into some of those details, I know some people ask this question because I've been asked this question. Brandon, does it even matter that there's going to be relationships in heaven? Like, would we even really care about them? Like, isn't it actually dishonoring or, it, or displeasing to God that we would want to be with other people in heaven? Because isn't Jesus everything? Like, isn't he to be the one? Like, isn't he like supposed to be the complete um, grabber of our attention in heaven, right? Like you would see passages like in Psalm 73, 25, where the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. So yes, listen, yes. Jesus is far more than all that we can ask or imagine. He is completely sufficient. And of course, make no mistake, Jesus is the centerpiece of heaven. He is the highlight of heaven. In fact, that's what I'm talking about next Sunday. But we also have to remember, God created us not to only have relationship with him, but he created us to be in relationship with each other. God gets glory. He gets honor. And he is pleased when we are in relationship. He created us to be relational beings. In fact, if you go all the way back to the creation of the world in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you will see that before God said it was very good when he created man, you know, Adam, there was something incomplete, right? He said it's not good for man to be alone. Even though man was with God, something was missing. And so he created Eve. And so we were, what we see is that we were created to not only be in relationship with God, but to be in relationship with each other. So we can make the conclusion that to enjoy the company of other people doesn't offend God. It isn't dishonoring to God. It's not displeasing to God. It actually honors him and it glorifies him. Relationships in heaven will not distract us from being in awe and in wonder of Jesus, it will actually enhance our worship of Jesus. I mean, like, think about that for a moment, okay? Like, here on earth, I don't know about you, but for me, I struggle with relationships here on earth. There are so many things that get in the way of it. My pride, my insecurities, um, <laughs> my selfishness my own motives, mixed motives, things that I hide, things that I disclose, things that I say that I wish I didn't say, right? There's so many things that get in the way. And if we were to be honest, because of the sin and the selfishness in this world, relationships here on earth do sometimes distract us from seeing Jesus, right? They do hinder our worship. They do cause problems here on earth, but not in heaven. In heaven, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be far beyond anything we could ever imagine. In fact, 
Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, like if you do have a Bible, we're going to camp out here in the letter of Thessalonians for a little bit. So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Paul, deeply in love with this church. I want you to notice what he starts to say here. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but, our, but also our very selves because you have become very dear to us. So there's a really beautiful relationship here with Paul and the church. Now jump to verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus, here it comes, at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So if I were to summarize this, what Paul is saying here, really it's going, his heavenly reward, one of his heavenly rewards will be his ongoing relationship with the people in Thessalonica. His relationship with them and the joy that he has with them, it doesn't compete. It doesn't distract. It doesn't dishonor or displease God. It's all part of it. Now let's look at chapter 3, verse 9 through 13, in the same letter. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking. Now may our God and Father himself... Our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You just start to see Paul making these connections. Relationship dynamic, the Lord's coming. He's making these things. In other words, we can deduce that relationships continue. In heaven, and they're pleasing to God. They enhance our joy. It's all part and parcel of what God has in store for us in heaven. I mean, there's multiple spots in scripture where Paul speaks into these things. So let me say this yes, Jesus is the highlight and he is the centerpiece of heaven. But he also created us to be relational and we long to be in fellowship, not only with him, but also with each other. We long to be in relationship with him and other people. God would not have given us, okay, think about this. He would not have given us this desire here on earth if it were not to continue in heaven. Puritan Richard Baxter, in light of this conversation, this is what he wrote. I know that Christ is all in all and that it is the presence of God that makes heaven to be heaven. But yet it sweetens the thoughts of that place to me that there are such a multitude of my most dear and precious friends in Christ there. So folks, listen. What we see scripture teaching us about heaven is completely, it's completely off the charts. Okay, think about this. Heaven is designed by a loving savior to be the place where we will live together with him and all who believe for all eternity and to enjoy him and each other forever. Heaven is designed by a loving savior. Think about that. He came here to rescue you. And what awaits us is infinitely better. It's going to be perfect pleasure. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's perfect pleasure in heaven. There's going to be perfect knowledge in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I've been fully 
fully known. We're going to be able to see everything. It's going to be clear, perfect pleasure, perfect knowledge. There's going to be perfect comfort, deep rest and peace like we've never experienced before. There's going to be perfect love because there's going to be perfect motives and no selfishness. There's going to be perfect joy. There's going to be perfect relationships. That excites me. That makes me eager to want to be there. Now, as I've been studying this passage and this whole topic all week, like I started to reflect on my relationships here on earth. And, and, um, and I got to be honest, I started to think through all of the areas where I fall short. I started to think through how my pride gets in the way of loving my wife how my pride gets in the way of loving my children, how my pride gets in the way of even loving my Savior, Jesus. I started thinking about all of the areas where I'm insecure and all the areas where I start to argue or like, you know, strive to get my own gain or my own selfishness and all of these things. And I started thinking about how I want to be more loving and more caring and more attentive. But even when I have those right desires and I try to be better, I still fall short. I started thinking about the people I've hurt, the people who I disappoint or have disappointed, the people who I let down. And then I started thinking about all of the people who have hurt me, who have disappointed me. And then I started thinking about probably my favorite TV series show, Band of Brothers. And, and I love that HBO series primarily not because of the fascination with war, but because of the Band of Brothers. I, I long to be in that type of fellowship. Like I long to be in relationships with my loved ones, with my wife, with my kids, with my family, with my friends, without any inadequacies or any deficiencies or any selfishness. I long for that. And I found in me groaning, like longing to be in that time, in that place where there's gonna be unhindered relationship with Jesus and with each other. And we know with certainty because what scriptures teach us, that is what awaits those of us who believe in Jesus. When Jesus died and when he conquered death and the grave, when he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit, he began to form a whole new humanity where we would be one with him and one with each other, where there's this metaphor that we are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And we also see that those who receive this gift of life, those who receive the grace that Jesus extends, and when we receive it by faith, he gives us the rights to become sons and daughters of God, adopted children into the family of God. So listen, like you got to, you got to let this one sink in. When we get to heaven, it's going to be the greatest family reunion of all time. Like we're going to love everyone. We're going to want to sit down and chat with everyone. We're going to want to hug everyone. Like every single person. Like even the crazy uncles that we have in our life. Like Uncle Buck. Right? Some of you know that movie for those of you in the older generation. But for those of you a little bit in the younger generation. Millennials or Gen Z or whatever. You know whatever generation I am. Uncle Rico. Right? Like, we're, even all the crazy family members that we have, we're going to want to be with them. We're going to want to hang out with them. People you don't know. We're, we're going to be brothers and sisters. And there's going to be, this, this is great. I'm a bit of a social awkward person. <laughs> okay? Some of you, like, who know me just say, yeah, you are, brother. But listen, like, in heaven, there's going to be no social awkwardness. There's going to be no, I wonder if I fit in. There's going to be no, I wonder if they understand me. I wonder if they heard me. I wonder if they noticed me. None of that. Heaven's going to feel the most at home you've ever felt in your life. You're going to feel like you belong more than you have ever felt before. You're never going to wonder what people think of you. Because it's going to be perfect and loving and complete full of acceptance. That's what heaven is. We see in scripture in Romans chapter 9 verse 8, right? 
This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. When we receive God's gift of salvation, we become children of God. Look at this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not appeared. Now that's talking about heaven, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Nothing's lost in heaven. We're gonna have so much time, an eternity amount of time to get to know our whole extended, glorious, heavenly family. It's awesome. Now, let's try to make this more relevant, okay? Because right now what I've been talking about is going, yes, we, we're, we're created to be in relationship with God, be in relationship with him, and we go to heaven based upon receiving the gift of life that he extends to us by faith. And when that happens, we're adopted as sons and daughters, and we're going to go to heaven and be part of this great family reunion with every single person in heaven who professes Jesus as Lord. But let's ask this question now. Let's make it a little bit more at home. Will we be reunited with our families and our friends and our loved ones? Will we remember the relationship that we had with them here on earth? Or will it all just be kind of like equal? Like, like we, we won't notice anything special about other people. No one will stand out above and beyond. Yes, of course, yes, we will know our loved ones. And yes, of course, yes, there will be special relational dynamics between them. God, I don't, God would not change that in heaven. So let's go back again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, here in this moment, this passage, this, these next um, six verses that we're going to walk through, Paul wrote this specifically to this church because he got wind that they were confused about what relationships in heaven will be like. They were grieving because they thought that, excuse me, they thought that the relationships that they had here would end or that there wouldn't be any special relational dynamic between them. So Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Now that's important. It's like, listen, we have truth and the truth is rooted in God's word. We want you to know what God says and what is true. Brothers, we want you to know about those who are asleep. In other words, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Listen, those who do not have their hope in Jesus, and maybe that's you this morning. And I pray that this morning you would place your hope and your love and your affection in Jesus Christ this morning. But Paul is saying clearly here, he's like, listen, we don't want you to grieve like the rest of the world. You don't have to because of what we know that what is true because of what Jesus has done. We, we have a hope that is certain, that is deep, that goes deeper beyond anything we could ever have imagined. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I mean, right there, he's telling them, he's like, listen, we will be reunited with them. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And if we were just to skip down to verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Again, you're getting this connection here. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. This is the important verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What Paul just told them was meant to be a source of deep encouragement. Okay? You will recognize your loved ones. You will recognize those who have gone on before you. So let me just pull out two um, specific theologians that have spoken on this, okay? J.C. Ryle, here's what he said about this. 
There would be no point in these words of consolation or encouragement if they did not imply to the mutual recognition, recognition of saints, of those whom we love. The hope with which he cheers weird Christians is the hope of meeting their beloved friends again. John MacArthur says this. He says, when Paul says comfort one another with these words, it's pointing to a reunion. Little comfort this would be if this reunion, we wouldn't be able to recognize our loved ones or to have any special connection with them. So listen, real quick. Death breaks ties on earth. Death severs relationships here on earth. But because of Jesus, right? And this is why Paul connected this to the gospel because Jesus' death and resurrection. These relationships we know with 100% security and without any doubt will be renewed in heaven. It will be. Now I could talk to you about like in the Old Testament when it says that Abraham, when he died, he was gathered to his people. That's also a reference, a specific point to saying that Abraham's gonna be gathered back together with his beloved family. We see other spots in scripture where this speaks into this, that we will know our special loved ones and that we will have a special connection with them, but that doesn't change how we will love and relate to the rest of our brothers and sisters in heaven. So this means something. And one of the things that I want to point out is this. We will be recognizable. We will be recognizable as well as our loved ones and others in heaven without any perfections, Hallelujah, without any inadequacies, praise the Lord. We will still retain our gender, our personality, our abilities, but there won't be any flaws. There won't be any selfishness, okay? So real quick, because I know some of you are thinking this question. What about marriage? What about marriage? Hang with me now, okay? This is a big question. And in fact, scriptures, again, they speak into this. If I'm married now, will I be married in heaven? What if I've remarried? What if I have multiple spouses in heaven? That would create an awkward situation. Well, we need to think rightly about marriage, okay? Now, my wife, Carissa, and I, we, we were discussing this this week, and, and she um, said to me, which grave, gave me great delight, that she would be sad and devastated if there were to be no special relationship with me, with us in heaven. And I'm telling you, that brought great joy to me um, that she would still be saying that after how many weeks now of quarantine at stay at home and, and like she still loves me and she wants to spend forever with me. Hallelujah. That's a miracle, folks, okay? But really, this, this is a confusing topic, okay? And it's confusing because there's one story in the Gospel of Matthew that creates some of this confusion. In Matthew chapter 2, Sadducees approach Jesus and they're, they, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Okay, that's key. And they started to ask Jesus this question to show the ridiculousness of the resurrection. They're not here arguing marriage. They wanted to argue the resurrection and they thought they got Jesus. And so they said, okay, Jesus, there's this lady and she's married to this man and this man dies. And because of the Torah says that there needs to be this provision that she needs to, if he has a brother, they need to remarry. And let's just say that happens seven times. And so when she gets to heaven, Who's her husband? Gotcha! Like that was the idea. It's like, see, isn't the resurrection ridiculous, Jesus? It makes me think of the Willie Nelson song. All my exes live in, come on, finish it. Live in Texas. Yeah, that could be really awkward, right? Like what if they, what if they all did live in Texas? Wait, in heaven. Did you see what I just did there? That was a complete Freudian slip. That was not intentional. Like, but really, God's love supersedes and trumps any of our awkwardness or perceived awkwardness of heaven. He can bring peace relationally even where it seems or feels impossible. These, the, the Sadducees in the story thought the resurrection was completely ridiculous. But Jesus replies in verse 29 of that chapter, says, you are wrong 
because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And then in verse 30, he goes, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? And what is he not saying here? Okay, some people would read this and go, see, there's going to be no special dynamic between uh, married people here on earth. That's not what he's saying. Well, we're going to be like the angels and there's no points and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. The topic at hand is the resurrection, not so much marriage. And Jesus is saying, listen, you do not understand ultimately the resurrection and how that affects marriage. We will be like the angels. In other words, here's what he's saying. The institution of marriage will cease. There will be no more need to be married in heaven. There will be no need to have a marriage ceremony in heaven. There will be no procreation in heaven. Heaven will be a fixed number, okay? But what he's not saying, he is not saying that any of the relationships that we had here, specifically between husband and wife, will completely be erased. That's not what he's saying. That's not at all what he's assuming to or um, suggesting. He is the one, right? God is the one who said it's not good for man to be alone. And he was the one who created Eve. He was the one who gave and blessed the institution of marriage. Life on this earth matters. So these eternal companionships like between husband and wife, it will be so much better and so much greater than we can ever imagine. There will be a special connection between husband and wife that will go beyond anything that we can ever imagine. Now saying that, we will also have at some level, as far as I understand what the scriptures say, that same type of perception with everybody in heaven. You're going to have perfect relationships with everyone, but there will be a special connection, a special relationship between those who are married in here. But the institution of marriage is over. In fact, let me say this. There is only one marriage in heaven. This is important. One marriage. And it's between Jesus and his church. It's between Jesus and and all of us who profess that he is our Lord and Savior. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul starts to talk about the institution of marriage. He's talking about husbands loving their wives and wives loving their husbands. And he goes, I'm actually talking to you about a great mystery. And this mystery is about Jesus and his church. So think about it. The human institution that God blessed here that we call marriage was actually to point forward to the great marriage between Jesus and his church. There's only going to be one. And this marriage with Jesus is going to be so completely satisfying. Like nothing will take away the fact that Carissa, my wife and I are marriage partners here and that we have vested so much of our lives here and we have served each other and served Jesus and loved each other and loved Jesus together here and our kids. The joys of marriage is going to be far greater, not because of us, it's going to be far greater because of, of our love for Jesus. That's why it's going to be so much greater. Our marriage here on earth is only greater when we love Jesus greater. It's the same in heaven. Like, I'm going to rejoice. Listen, listen, this is going to sound weird, but listen, I'm going to rejoice that my wife, Carissa, is married to Jesus. And I'm going to rejoice that I'm married to Jesus. Like there is no competition there because even right here on earth, we strive to love Jesus the best. Like he is number one. That's what we're looking forward to. The institution of marriage will end, but Jesus, the scriptures never hint that the deep relationships between married people would end. And that continues with all human relationships. So why did we bring this up? It's because Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 18 says, encourage one another with these words. Now, I know some of you really hope that when your loved ones die and pass on, that you hope you will see them again. And some of you, you don't know for certain if that will happen. So he, listen, if you don't know Jesus, you need to understand something. Life is fragile. Life is just a vapor. It's just a moment. Like, come on. The whole world is getting hit right now. And the things that we thought that are worthy of our trust and our security and the things that we thought that gave us purpose and meaning, all of it is thrown up in the air. 
Everything is empty. You need to realize that Jesus loves you, that we were created for so much more than this. He died for you. He conquered death in the grave for you. And the only way to have peace in this world and to have the security of hope in the life after this life is through Jesus. So my question to you is, do you know him? Have you received the gift of life that he has given you? I want to encourage you that this morning, this afternoon, whenever you watch this, that you say, yeah, I, I, I need this hope, this, this surety, this hope that won't be shaken, that won't be removed. And some of you right now who do follow Jesus and profess hope in Jesus, let me ask you a real pointed question. Who do you want to be in heaven with? Are there people in your lives right now that you know that don't love Jesus, that don't have this hope? Are there people in your life that you want to be with forever? I hope that's everyone. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about this hope. Tell them that they can be saved and have the life that God created for them. Share the gospel with them. Because we're to encourage each other with these words. This life is temporary. There is a life forever. And next week as we talk about Jesus, and then the following week as we talk about judgment, the giving an account of our deeds here on earth, listen, we're going to discover that Jesus is so good. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time and your word. And I ask that wherever people are at this morning, Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts and their spirits to you, that you would speak to them, that you would give hope and encouragement to them. For those who are grieving loved ones who have just recently died or even those who have been grieving lost loved ones for five, ten years, you grieve with them. You understand that. You know that death was not part of this plan, but you made a way. Praise you, Jesus, that you made a way. And thank you, Lord, that you've given us in your word the confident hope of knowing that we will be reunited with them forever. So, Lord, I pray for my friends out there that if they have not received this gift of life by grace, understanding that you've done everything, that there's nothing that they have to do to earn this relationship, to earn salvation, to earn favor or peace with you. Lord, I pray that this morning they would just say simply in their hearts, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for, for conquering death for me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wandering. Forgive me of times when I put my hope in other things. Lord, I, I want to follow you. Listen, and if you've said that prayer, wherever you're at, please email me. Please email me. I want to send you some resources. So Father, I ask that you would bless my friends out there richly. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings, church.